11, and hopefully part of chapter 12, we'll see. We'll see. As we take a look, I better go grab my glasses, I won't be able to see anything. Fortunately, I don't have so far to go anymore. That wasn't too bad, right? <laughs> yeah, brother, it's happening. Can't believe it, but it, it's happening. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear the words of this covenant, and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the word of this covenant. Chapter 11, the Lord begins speaking to Jeremiah, and he says to Jeremiah, Listen, I want to renew this covenant with you, this covenant that he had made. And that covenant begins with a curse. Begins with a curse, saying, Cursed is a man who doesn't keep most of the law. No, he says, who doesn't keep all, all of the of the covenant that had been written. We, we read this exact covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 27 around uh, verse 10 and on as the priests would go through the blessings and the cursings. The blessings that we have by a relationship with the Lord as he brings us into or the nation of Israel into a land flowing with milk and honey, but also the curses for those who don't obey. Now what do we discover from this covenant? We discover that Every single one of us is under the curse because we can't meet the requirement. The requirement is keep the whole law. The requirement is be perfect. In everything that God commands, do that. So he begins with his curse. And then in verse 4 he says, um, Which I command you, your fathers, in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace saying, Obey my voice and do according to all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God. That I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. And Jeremiah said, I answered and said, Amen, Lord. So be it. Jeremiah accepted the covenant. He accepts the covenant. Maybe in us we're thinking, no, forget about it. We can't do it. There's no way to measure up. But listen, this is God's requirement. There's no way around it. We can't run around the curse. We can't run around the requirement. We can't stop short of understanding that God's requirement for us is that we are righteous. And our ability to be righteous, we cannot produce. So we find ourselves under the curse. We live on a planet under the curse, among a people covered by the curse, struggling with the curse, and yet Jeremiah proclaims to the Lord, so be it. So be it. Amen, Lord. We want that blessing of your presence, but reaching, grasping for that blessing of the presence places us underneath the curse, under the curse of the Lord. Most people believe at this time what's going on in the history of the nation of Israel reminds us of 2 Kings chapter 23. If you guys want to flip over to 2 Kings chapter 23 real quick, we'll take a look at it. 2 Kings 23 brings us to a revival. I always like reading about revivals. I think revivals are good things. In fact, I'm, I'm hoping that God's going to pour out a revival upon us. But as we look at 2 Kings... Chapter 23, verse 1, says, Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah. And with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing... All the words of the book of the covenant which he had found in the house of the Lord. He had found the Pentateuch. First five books of the Bible Josiah had discovered. And he begins to read it before the people. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord 
and keep his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. All the people at the time of Josiah made the choice, said, yes, amen. We accept the covenant, the covenant that offered the blessings, but also part of that covenant was the curse. The curse for if you don't obey, if you don't obey, this will happen. If you don't obey, that will happen. In fact, when they read through the covenant, when they came to each one of the blessings and the cursings, the people would cry out, amen, so be it. So be it. We accept it. We accept it. We accept it. All the Lord's rules, all the, all the guidelines that God passed down as he, as he spoke to them, all the words of the law. And here Jeremiah is <clears throat> reminiscent of that same period of time. We're saying, hey, are you going to accept? Will you receive? Will you grasp? Will you hold on to all the, the promise, the covenant of God? Because at this time, children of Israel are about as far away from it as they can be. It's all just become so much ritual, so much uh, tradition. We're going to see that there, there's three errors that the children of Israel are going to be caught up in. Three errors that, that come that God brings against them. He says that they are hard-hearted, that they are worshiping idols, and they are caught up in false worship. That was the heart of the people. That's, that's where the people's at. And that puts the people where? Under the curse. Under the curse. Well, let's go on. As we continue to go on here in Jeremiah, he said then, Then the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of the covenant and do them. Don't we hear... <clears throat> In the, in the epistle of James, that, that we're to be not hearers only, but what else? Doers. Doers. Anybody can hear. We talked about this morning. Anybody can believe in Jesus. What Jesus are they believing in? We went through the book and, and, and talked about several of the, of the things people posted on Newsweek's website about who is Jesus. And you go around and ask them if they're a Christian, they probably all say, well, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. I've been born in the United States, and, and I believe in Jesus. But the Jesus they believe in is not the Jesus of the Bible. And some, it's just the Jesus they believe, they believe Jesus existed. So did the demons. Here the Lord says to Jeremiah, keep my covenant. Walk in my precepts. Obey my word. Don't just hear it. In fact, James would tell us that a man who, who hears and doesn't do is like a man who looks at himself in the mirror. And he sees what's wrong with his face. But as soon as he turns away from the mirror, he forgets what manner of man he is. What issues there was to take care of. So he says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Receive the word with gladness. Apply the word in your life and make a stand like the people did. Said, I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going to stand on the word of God. Folks, all around the world today, different churches are taking different stances that are in absolute rebellion against what the word of God says. They're not standing on the word. I don't care that it says church outside and if the fellow wears a fancy collar or a pretty hat when he teaches. None of that makes any difference. Are they founded on the word of God? Do the people say, I'm making a stand on the word? I'm going to stand on what God's word says. Or are they standing on what man says? Who's standing up before them or who's teaching or who's writing the next book or, or whatever's going on? It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing here. He tells them, tell the people. Hear the words of the covenant and do them. For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. First charge that the Lord has against the 
the children of Israel is their hard-heartedness. They would not obey. They wouldn't even listen. <laughs> they wouldn't even turn their ear toward him. But everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart. Everyone did what seemed right to them. It always makes me cringe a little bit when I get into a Bible study and, and people say things like, well, tell me what this verse means to you. Well, most of the time I understand what they're saying, but the verse means what it means. It's, it's not of any private interpretation. It means what it says. It says what it means. There's not some, you know, sometimes there's, there's hidden pictures or things that we can, that we can exegete out of scripture. But once we understand the tools and how to exegete, then the, the word says what it says. But there's a time for the nation of Israel. It was all about, well, what is, how does it make me feel? How do I feel about this? How does this, you know, I don't really like this verse. I don't really like what the word says here. I don't really like what God's requiring. So we're just not going to obey that. We're going to set that off on the side. And we're going to say, you know, that was for then. But this is now, you know, we've got to grow with the times. We've got to move forward with the times. Well, the children of Israel were doing the same thing at the time of Jeremiah. They're moving away. They're following the dictates of their evil heart. And God has already declared to us that our heart is desperately wicked. It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful. It's, it's rotten. We do not have the ability to understand right from wrong. Even though Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it didn't work. All it meant was that Adam and Eve made a choice to stand on their own instead of standing with the Lord. And now we're not really sure what's right. It's right Tuesday, but it's wrong Thursday. It's right now, it's wrong later. Nothing stands unshaken except for God and his word. Standing unshaken, unshakable. And so the first thing he lays out for them, their hard-heartedness. They refuse to believe in his word. They refuse to repent from their sin. They refuse to open their heart to him. In that situation, you are under the curse. Just like we are today. We face it the same way. I know we're looking in the Old Testament, but listen, guys. We face that same testament today. How are you going to stand? Are you going to stand with the Lord or not? Are you going to repent of your sins? Are you going to open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you going to uh, uh, believe upon his word? Or are you going to stand on your own and follow the dictates of your own evil heart? That's what they were doing here. So the Lord said, therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded to do to them but which they have not done. God says then, we, you already know what's coming because you read it. Cursed is the man who. Cursed is the man who. And they said, amen, 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 right down the line. So the Lord says, hey, this is coming. The time has come. Verse 9, he says, the next problem is that they're idolaters. And the Lord said to me, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For they have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words, and they have gone after other gods to serve them. It always amazes me that how many things men and women are willing to do that don't have anything to do with God. But as soon as it becomes about God, we have a problem. Most guys I know can sit down in front of a TV and watch a football game. And when they score a touchdown, what are they going to do? They're going to jump up in the air, throw their arms high in the sky as they can reach, and shout, touchdown! But you come into church and praise the Lord. Them hands are stuck to the sides. Can't move my arms, can't lift my hands. These are a bunch of crazy people. What's wrong with these guys? I can worship at that square altar, that football game. I don't have any problem raising my hands, dancing around like a monkey, doing whatever craziness <laughs> fills my heart. But when I come into God's house, I don't have that same abandon for him. They will worship all kinds of, 
of false gods. Them false gods would require them to do things that you and I can't even imagine, but they would do them happily. Hoping that that something that, that they were wanting or desiring would come true. And all they had to do was go to the true God. But they didn't want to go to the true God. Nobody else was doing that. I want to go to all these other things. I want to chase after all these other things in my life. For you and I, maybe idolatry is a little bit different. Maybe idolatry simply is that thing in your life that you're unwilling to give up for God. If God came to you and said, whatever's in your heart, if God said, I I want you to give me X, whatever it is. I want you to stop doing Y. I want you to turn away from this. or I want you to turn toward that. If there's something in your life that you say, if God asked me to do that, I would not do it. Now you know what your idol is. And the Lord would say to these guys, when calamity comes, you pray to them gods. See how it works out. Pray to that little Buddha you got sitting up there on your shelf. And hope he answers your prayers. It's an idea of following the Lord with a a radical heart, saying, man, everything in my life is about him. Now, I'm not saying you have to get rid of everything that's going on in your life. I'm just saying, is there something if God asked you, you wouldn't give him? Because it's his already anyway. Scripture goes on to say, Uh, The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will surely bring calamity on them, which they will not be able to escape. And though they cry out to me, I will not listen. And the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they offer incense. But they will not save them at all in the time of their trouble. Because those idols can't save. All those things are going to burn. All that stuff we hold on to so tightly. So we want to be on the guard. We want to be on the guard against a hard-heartedness. An unwillingness to to listen to what God's word is laying out for us. And we want to be on the guard against idolatry. That there's anything in our life that takes precedence over the Lord. That that overrides what God wants to do. He goes on to describe the way it was for them in verse 13. For according to the number of your cities were your gods, O Judah. According to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars to that shameful thing. Altars to burn incense to Baal. They had so many. They just have a few. You go with me to Israel, we'll go by a couple of the uh, museums that they have out there. And what you'll notice is the abundance of little carved idols. As they've been going through and excavating all around Jerusalem and all around Israel, an abundance of little Canaanite gods, little idols, that entered into their life because they were disobedient to what God said to do. Be separate. Wherever you go, utterly destroy the enemy. We all think so heartless. Let me ask you a question. Which one of those people would you trade your kids for? Which one would you say, I'll sacrifice my son so that that little Canaanite village can continue to exist? There was a time my boy, JC, was always bringing home stray dogs, cats, squirrels, whatever. And one day he come walking in the house with a girl. So, yeah, things, things had changed a little bit. And it, but it was the same story. Dad, she don't have nowhere to live and she don't have nowhere to stay. So, so can she stay with us? Yeah. Uh, uh, no. What do you mean no, Dad? What are you talking about? We had some time to talk with her about what was going on and what was happening in her life and Ultimately, I told my son, I'm not willing to sacrifice you to try to do something to help her. I'll try to help her, but I won't sacrifice you to do it. What do you mean? And there was some stuff going on in her life 
that didn't need to be in my house. And I was moved by compassion, and Kathy and I both, uh, actually, we knew her parents. She had run away from home, and so we worked at trying to get that all reconciled and get her a place to go. But in essence, she's a, a rather rebellious teenager that really didn't want to come under anybody's rule, wanted to do what she wanted to do when she wanted to do it, and <clears throat> didn't like, you know, following under, falling under any type of a, of rules within the home. So she found herself in the position that she was in. God told the children of Israel, when you come into Canaan, I want you to utterly wipe out all the enemies. But there came a time in the conquest when Joshua was getting old and Caleb was even older that they decided this is good enough. I got enough. I got enough of the land. I'm comfortable where we are. I'm comfortable in my relationship with God. And they stopped moving forward. And their children started worshiping false gods because they didn't clean them out. And their grandchildren stumbled and fell. And their great-grandchildren ended up going into captivity as slaves. We don't always pay for what we do. You know that, right? Sometimes I sin and, and I got off okay, but my kids are going to bear the, the brunt of the choices that I made because they were watching. They were watching and it wasn't corrected. God said to the children of Israel, when you go, wipe all this out. Don't make, don't sign a treaty. Don't leave any of this stuff around. But you go into Israel today, you walk through the museum, and there are literally thousands and thousands of little idols that they had throughout all their homes. They fell back on. Why? Because what is clean becomes unclean when it's around things that are not clean. Right? I, I don't do laundry by taking a clean shirt and rubbing it next to a dirty one. It'd be kind of cool if it worked like that. But what happens is a dirty shirt becomes dirty still, and the clean shirt is now dirty. Didn't work out. God knew that. He said in his word, be separate. Come out from among them. Don't think that you can walk around them. Don't think... Don't forget that we are in enemy territory right now. We don't want to be all caught up in the things of this world. This place is not our home. There's so much more than this. And we don't want to get found with all the stupid little idols that are going to be those weights and the sin that so easily ensnares us when we try to run the race that God has laid out for each one of us. We want to be able to do what God wants us to do. So what does God say to Jeremiah? So do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. Literally what God is saying is now judgment is inevitable. It's so inevitable, don't pray. It's coming. It's not stopping. It will come. And these guys are going to go into captivity. And the amazing thing is God's going to send them into captivity to the center of idolatry in the world at that time in Babylon. And it's going to cure them. They're going to be all wrapped up in that for 70 years. And at the end of 70 years when they leave, they're not going to have that problem anymore. They're not going to struggle the same way they did with those same things. Now as he comes to verse 15. Now he says. Not only are you hard hearted. Not only are you adulterers. Or idolaters. Same difference. But. <clears throat> you're also caught up in false worship. What has my beloved to do in my house? Having done lewd deeds with many. And the holy flesh is passed from you. When you do evil. Then you rejoice. Listen, God's saying, even in my temple, you have lewd acts that are taking place within the temple. The holy flesh, that's the sacrifices. We're not being utilized the way they were supposed to be utilized. They weren't 
being used in the right way. Priests are selling them off, using them in, in other forms of worship. And then when they do these other forms of worship, they rejoice. God says, it's, it's not enough just to say, I'm going to come to you. You cannot worship the true God in a false way. Otherwise, you end up like Nadab and Abihu, right? <coughs> Who got so excited about the worship of God that they came before the Lord with strange fire. And they got roasted. The, the Shekinah of God. They were burned because they brought strange fire. What was the only type of fire that was allowed at the temple? The fire from the brazen altar. If you were going to burn incense, it came from the brazen altar. What does the brazen altar speak of? The cross. The cross. The cross. How do we have the ability to, to go to the golden altar and lift up our prayers to the heavens? We come by way of the cross. No other way. No other fire. No other door. One. One way. One way. But they brought strange fire. Here, the Lord says, man, you guys are doing all kind of crazy stuff around the temple. You, you know, with your lips, you're saying, "Woo, yeah, we're worshiping God. But God says, man, you're not worshiping me. Just, just a, this is just a bunch of garbage. And it's not doing you any good. In fact, he goes on in verse 16 says, He describes for them what the curse looks like. The Lord called your name. Green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. But with the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire on it, and its branches are broken. For the Lord of hosts who planted you has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in offering incense to Baal. God had planted, so God's the one who has the right to uproot. Even as these guys stand, what's this, this, the whole purpose of what Jeremiah is saying here is, we are under the curse. We are under the curse. And so are we. We stand under the curse. Galatians chapter 3 in Galatians chapter 3, verse uh, 13, Paul, as he's laying out these, these concepts to the church in Galatia, he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. See, Jesus Christ came to be the curse. He came. Just like Jeremiah, when the covenant was read to him, and Jeremiah said, Amen, Lord, so be it. This is God's requirement. Jesus had that moment as well, didn't he, in the Garden of Gatshmone in Gethsemane? When he said, If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But there was no other way. So what did Jesus say? So be it. And just as you and I stand under the curse, Jesus Christ became the curse so you and i could become righteous we still stand in the same requirements but jesus has paid the way jesus has opened the door jesus has has made the the way for us to to walk to be what god requires us to be not by anything that we produce but by what he produces Not by our ability, but by his ability. Who gave all for you and I. And we now have opportunity to give all for him. We have opportunity in the same way. Now, verse 18, Jeremiah discovers there's a plot out to get him. Now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it, for you showed me their doing. So God showed Jeremiah these guys that were coming after him. But I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter. I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit, and let us cut them off from the land of the living. 
that his name may, may be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have revealed my cause. So Jeremiah, he just puts himself in God's hands. Lord, it's on you. God tells him there's these guys trying to kill him. And we're going to discover who they are in a minute. And these guys are trying to kill him. And so Jeremiah just puts himself in. He doesn't try to defend himself. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He puts himself in God's hands. And he says, all right, Lord, I trust you. You, you be my defense. You be my shield. You be the one who is going to watch over. You be the one who will, who will take care of me. And, you know, that's important with Jeremiah. Because if you remember way back when Jeremiah was called... When Jeremiah was called to come and, and do what uh, God had asked him to do, in verse 6 of chapter 1, Jeremiah said, Oh, Lord, I cannot speak. I'm just a youth. But the Lord said, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you will speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. God told him in the beginning, where you go, I'll be with you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure everything is going to be okay. So Jeremiah puts himself in God's hands and trusts in him. Therefore, thus says the Lord, verse 21, concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life, saying, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hands. So now we know who they are. Anathoth, that's Jeremiah's hometown. In chapter 12, verse 6, we'll discover that it is his own brothers, his own family, his neighbors, and friends. Just like the scriptures laid out, right? A prophet is without honor in his hometown. So here, it is his hometown People from home. And in this point we see Jeremiah is being rejected as a prophet. In fact, they say, if you continue to say, thus saith the Lord, then we're going to kill you. We, your brothers. We, your neighbors. We, your friends. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will punish them. The young men will die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters will die by famine. And there will be no remnant of them, for I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anathoth, even the year of their punishment. God brings a judgment of condemnation upon the men of Anathoth. And the the judgment that he pronounces is kind of interesting because those things occur to them because they wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah was going to tell them, give up. Lay down your swords. Judgment is foregone conclusion. You cannot fight judgment. You're going into captivity. So lay down your swords, go into captivity, buy houses and live your lives. But they wouldn't receive the word of the Lord and they fought. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill them. He's going to wipe them out. Three different times he's going to come to do battle against Jerusalem. And finally, in the end, he's going to utterly dismantle it, take it apart, because they just wouldn't be brought into a place of bondage. They wouldn't hear what God said. So as a result, people died that didn't have to die. But they died because they would not receive the word. They were hard-hearted, idolatrous, and full of false worship. And here you got them wanting to pile up for themselves prophets that have a better message. We don't like Jeremiah's message. It's a drag. You know, Jeremiah's always busting our chops over we're not doing good enough. Well, if you think it sounds, it was, it was sounding hard for them to hear the same message over and over again, think of how hard it is for God sitting up in heaven watching us. Last I checked, we have the same struggles day in and day out. But he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. He's still there. He's still waiting. He pronounces his judgment upon them. But then Jeremiah in chapter 12. Jeremiah, he ever had those times 
when you should have just shut up, but you said something? There have been a few of those times in my life. Yeah, I know there's been a few in Susie's life. There's been a few of those times where you'd like to get that back. Oops, I wish I hadn't said that. Well, here's Jeremiah's big moment. Jeremiah's feeling really justified, and he has some advice for God. Anybody ever give God advice? Here is Jeremiah's advice for God. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet let me talk to you about your judgments. Oh, you just know this is not going to go good. Basically, Jeremiah's beef is that God's justice takes too long. He has two questions that he asks here in verse 1. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? And two, why are those happy who deal so treacherously? Why do good things happen to bad people? And why are the bad people getting away with it? What are you doing, Lord? What's going on? He says in verse 2, you come to two choices. Two, two possible answers to the question. It is one, God is not sovereign. He's not in control. And that's why these things happen. But Jeremiah is pretty sure God is in control. The other possibility is that God's not good. So that's the argument Jeremiah goes with. He pronounces in verse 2 that God has messed up. You have planted them, yes, and they have taken root. They grow, yes, and they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but you are far from their mind. I'm not really sure you know what you're doing, Lord. I'm not really sure you have an idea, but you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me. You have tested my heart toward you. Here's what I want you to do, God. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. What are you waiting for? Just wipe them out. Make them all, it kind of sounds like Jonah. You guys remember Jonah? Reminds me of Jonah the prophet who, who f- makes it all the way to Nineveh finally with no hair and bleached white. And uh, he's like the, probably looked like the original punk rocker that by the time he got there. Seaweed hanging out his ears and nose and whatever. And, and he don't want to give the message so he says something like, uh, 40 days in judgment comes, repent. And then he goes up on top of a hill to see what happens. And the people all repent, sackcloth and ashes, and God withholds his judgment. And Jonah sits up there and goes, see, I knew you were going to do that, God. <laughs> Giving the wicked a break. There are rotten people down there. Yeah, Jonah, and there's a rotten person on top of the hill right now. <laughs> and while you're pointing down there, there's fingers pointing back at you. But sometimes that's how we get, right? We get that way when we get disgusted about the things that are going on in our world and the things that are happening. And that's the way, that was the way that, that uh, Jeremiah was. Jeremiah's in this place right now and, and he's, uh, he's just struggling with what, what God has for him, what God's laid out for him. And, and as we consider that, turn with me to, to uh, 1 Peter First Peter chapter two. Maybe. For, or let's go to the second Peter. Second Peter chapter two, verse twenty. For if, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are in, again entangled in them and overcome, and the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true. 
proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. And as we look at what Peter is laying out for us in 2 Peter chapter 2, he's talking about those, those people who, who progress, move forward, have a time with the Lord, fall back, struggle. The end is worse than the beginning was. Jesus told a parable like that about a, a man who was demon-possessed and they, they cast those demons out, but that wasn't replaced. The emptiness was just emptiness. And he said, and the demons are going to come back and the end of that man is going to be worse than the beginning. And here you have these, these truths lined up with Jeremiah's complaint. Jeremiah saying, Lord, wipe out the wicked. But don't you see, God's doing something. The reason why God withholds his judgment is because God is doing a work in people's lives. And you and I and Jeremiah and Jonah and anybody else need to realize that just obliterating the people doesn't solve the problem. It don't. When the children of Israel were coming into the land, what did God say to them? As they were coming into the land, God said to them, I'm going to wipe the people out little by little where you put the sole of your foot. If you don't walk there, I'm not going to help you move them out. I'm not just going to cast out all the people and leave the land to the wild animals. Uh, You're going to have to, by faith, put your foot where it needs to go. And Jeremiah's got to learn to do the same thing. Jeremiah, you got to, by faith, trust in me. You got to put your hope in me, Jeremiah, that I'm... I'm going to carry you through. I'm going to take care of you. In fact, Jeremiah goes on and says in verse 4, How long will the land mourn and the the herbs of of every field wither? The beasts and the birds are consumed from the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said, He will not see our final end. So Jeremiah is worried, supposedly anyways, about God's reputation and whether or not that judgment has come. And whether God took the easy way out for them all. But then God responds to him. You ever notice sometimes when Jesus would be asked a question, he didn't answer it. He just told you what you needed to hear. You know, people would come to him and say to him, you know, Jesus, is it right for us to pay taxes or not? And Jesus would say, show me a Daenerys. Who's, whose image is on it? Caesar. Then render unto Caesar what? Things that are Caesar's. But what else did he say? Render unto, God. render unto God the things that are God's. Everybody forgets the second half of that. Render unto Caesar what belongs to him, but render unto the Lord what belongs to him. People would ask Jesus questions and try to trap him and trick him, and Jesus would just speak to some other issue in their heart. Well, here God does the very same thing with Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, he responds in verse 5. So Jeremiah lays out this this little rebuke for the Lord, this little question, this little issue that he has. And God says in verse 5, If you have run with a footman and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with the horses? Wow. Wow. In essence, God is saying, uh, Jeremiah, stop whining because you ain't seen nothing yet. And if in the day of small things you're you're wore out, what are you going to do when it gets bad? Because this ain't bad. For Jeremiah, this was a day of small things. It's as though the, the Lord is saying, To him and to anybody else who gets discouraged, downtrodden, or defeated over the little things. When that happens, that person who's downtrodden over that's never going to totally fulfill the calling that God has for them. If they cannot get over the little things. If even the little disappointments tempted Jeremiah to leave his calling, how's he going to cope with the persecution that's yet to come? Because God had great things in mind for Jeremiah, great plans for him. But he would never achieve them unless he was willing to persevere in the little things. He had to be willing to race with men if he was ever going to run with the horses. So God says to him, Jeremiah, this is just a race with men. 
there's a race with horses coming. And if you can't grasp this, you know Asaph had a hard time with this, right? In the Psalms. Asaph did the same thing. Lord, I'm upset about the prospering of the wicked. Asaph says he he tripped and, and almost stumbled and fell over the whole deal until he went into the house of the Lord and there he saw their end. And he learned to trust that God knows what he's doing. And when we learn to trust that God knows what he's doing, we have learned to run with the footman. But don't think that a break is coming. No breaks here. Battle, wars, battles, wars, battles, wars. Sorry, sis. Yeah. But the good news is, Jesus is coming. And how can we really experience rest without him? For he is our rest, isn't he? He is our rest. And so we'll, we'll look forward to that time. But until then, we're in enemy territory. Better not rest in enemy territory. Things get crazy. Learn to run with the footmen. Learn to trust God in the little things. And when the big things come, it's a little bit easier. Everybody has that opportunity to trust God in the little things, to put their faith in him as they go through the little things. He goes on just at the end of verse 5 and says, And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they have wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? God's saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, man, this ain't nothing yet. You're, you're, you're flipping out over these guys. This is little. And thought, this is not the worst thing you're going through, brother. So you need to trust me. You need to put your faith in me. If this wipes you out, you're never going to be able to be who God wants you to be as you move forward. What's well, interesting because Isaiah must have had some of the same things going on in his mind. Because Isaiah had a few things to... Uh, to say, to speak to us about these <clears throat> very same issues in his life. Isaiah lays out for us in verse uh, 27 of chapter 40, Why do you say, O Jacob, and, and speak, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? My just claim is passed over by God? Have you not known... Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. That he gives power to the weak, and to those who have no strength, he gives might, and he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Those who wait upon the Lord. That was Jeremiah's problem. He's not waiting on the Lord, right? Hey, God, I got, I got some ideas of how I can, you know, make your whole system better. You just need to, to do some of these things that I have in mind. And we can be guilty of doing the same thing. Tonight we got an opportunity to close out service in prayer like we do on Sunday nights and just seek his face. And, and as we do that, I want to encourage you. The Spirit moves in you. The, he, he lays utterance on you, give utterance. He, he lays a word on you, give a word. We got people that we, that we just found out recently are, are facing some pretty dire things in regard to, to uh, Anna Lures and, and her colon cancer or Dina and Rick Easterday, whose son-in-law Herman had an a aneurysm and had surgery today and they still don't know if he's going to be okay. They're all out in California with him. He's... How old is he? 28? He's 30. Still young. Young guy, you know, and uh, playing basketball and just dropped on the court. Had aneurysm. We got 
things to pray about for our nation, things to pray about for, for our town, for our community, things that we're facing. And God wants us to be people who are willing to call upon his name. He hasn't yet told us like he told Jeremiah, stop praying for him. So since he hasn't said that, we should take the opportunity we have to pray. So we're going to go ahead and go before him in open prayer and we'll end when it's over. Um, But I invite you, if you're not able to hang out with us, it's all right. God bless you guys and I'll see you next time I see you. If you're able to hang out, we'll have a time of fellowship afterwards. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you right now. Father, we ask that, Lord, you would uh, just give us a, just give us a heart, God, willing to just really trust you in all the things that we face, all the questions that we have, all the concerns that we have about whether or not God really knows, you really know what you're doing, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would settle that answer and understand that Where we stand in Christ Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Because Jesus said yes to the curse in the Garden of Gethsemane means we can shout yes and amen when we hear him say, I will never leave you or forsake you. When he says, be strong and of good courage, Don't be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We can say yes and amen, for the blessings are ours in Christ Jesus. God, I pray in these days as we run with the footmen that we would learn to trust you, not to question you, but to believe that you know what you're doing why you're doing it and the sickness that we see within our own church family and the tragedies that we see within our our town and state and country and around the world lord god there's a purpose a point and we need to find our place within your plan and stand on the covenant of god on the word that he gives us and guard against a hard-heartedness or idolatrous attitude Or false worship, putting God in our own image. Lord, we pray that you would move among your people tonight as we come before you and we bring our requests unto you. We give you thanks and praise for the opportunity you give us. In Jesus' name we pray.